Go with me to Daniel, the 7th chapter and the 21st, 25th verse, Daniel 7, if you'll find your place there. We're going to look at quite a bit of scripture today. This, I believe the sound crew is going to help us try to post as many scriptures as, as we can get to you. Uh, last week, we began a session entitled, You Are Satan's Replacement. And we learned in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, that Satan was in the presence of God, probably, probably created music, probably under the power of God's direction, probably prepared praise and worship for one-third of the angels in worship to the Word, was in God's presence, heart got overwhelmed with pride, was cast from God's presence to the earth. If the Lord allows next Sunday, I want to talk about the seven deadly sins, the seven things that God hates. And uh, ironically, you will find that they are all from Satan and his fall. When Satan said, I will five times, he generated seven sins upon the earth. God does not hate the drug addict. God does not hate the alcoholic. God hates a proud look. God hates a, a tongue that's swift to spread mischief. God hates anyone that would cause discord. And we'll talk more about that as the uh, session progresses. Last week, we covered a lot of scripture. We looked at a lot of things the Apostle Paul had to say, what Jesus had to say about giving us power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. This morning, just for a few minutes, I'd like to talk a little bit about Satan's agenda. And guys, if you're going to title this this morning, if you would simply uh, entitle it, Satan's strategy is to wear you out, to wear you down, to frustrate you, to depress you, to fluster you. Can anybody relate to anything Pastor is saying today? The depression, the discouragement I saw this, this week as I was headed to the ranch, uh, there was a roadkill, and there were these, they looked like turkey buzzards, but they were trying to eat what was on the road, and every time a car drove by, they would fly off, and then when the car would leave, they would fly back, and that's exactly the way the enemy works. He tries to just constantly irritate, constantly harass, constantly hound you, and we will be looking at 1 John 4 and 4 today in a different light where it says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We're going to explain that and we're going to see what happened at Calvary and what God did for us, how we can have power over the enemy, and we can tread upon serpents, which represents the attack of the day, and scorpions, which represents our past, our history, the things that we failed, the balls that we dropped. The Bible says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do I have a witness in this place this morning? If you were to ask me in the last, and I personally believe that we are in the last of the last days, and as Daniel begins to prophesy of ten nations coming together, and then the eleventh nation we actually believe to be the kingdom of the Antichrist, they will make a pact together, and they will try their best to destroy what is left of the church upon the, the remnant of those that will get saved after the rapture, after all the things begin to happen. There'll be a great attack against them. But Daniel brings to our attention in Daniel 7, if you'll look at verse 25 with me, and the sound crew may have it up there for you to look at, Verse 24, and the ten horns of this kingdom are ten kings that shall rise. Another shall rise after them, and he shall diverse from the first. He shall subdue three kingdoms. He shall speak great words against the Most High and wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given in his hand until a time and times and the dividing of a time. Let me reiterate verse 25, and he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. We're living in a generation that seems to be weary, wore out, frustrated, depressed, discouraged, confused. Anybody bear witness to any of that? 
And as I was looking at some of the things we learned last week, there are only three things the enemy can do. He can tempt you, he can accuse you, and he can deceive you. What is scary that Matthew 24 that talks about the second coming of Christ, what's going to take place before the return of the Lord. There are two truths there that says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And the word also says that many shall, be, many shall believe a lie and be damned. They, they shall be deceived and believe a lie and be damned. And I believe we're living in that generation right now of all the religions upon the face of the earth, all the different doctrines, all the different truths. There seems to be a teaching now that you can pretty much do anything you want and then ask God to forgive you. But the word says in Romans, shall we continue to sin? God forbid that grace may abound. When God saves you, restores you, and heals you, he told the woman, go thy way and sin no more. When he, when he picked up the man's bed and he began to walk, he told that guy, go thy way and sin no more. So we know that grace is there to cleanse us and purge us, but grace is not an excuse to sin. You can't say, well, I'll go get trash or I'll go rob something or I'll steal something or I'll take something and then I'll ask God to forgive me. He will. But if you're not careful, you're at a place where you can actually offend the Holy Spirit and that is the only unpardonable sin is, is blaspheming the Holy Ghost. I don't really know what that means. I don't know how you can blaspheme the Holy Ghost. I don't believe I've ever met anybody that has blasphemed the Holy Ghost. But if you constantly pervert the blood of Jesus, you could be in danger of finding yourself in a place where you cannot repent or God will not hear you when you repent. When Samuel confronted Saul and told Saul what he had done against the kingdom of God, the word says that Saul repented, but the Lord did not hear Saul's repentance. Saul asked Samuel to go with him and to honor him, and Samuel would not go because God had turned his back on Saul because of Saul's blatant disobedience. And we'll look at that a little later. But as we learned that the enemy can tempt, he can accuse, he can deceive. Three things also in that tempting, accusing, deceiving that he will do is he will try to intimidate. Intimidate. Can anybody ever been intimidated by the enemy? Told you're not good enough. You can't do it like anybody else. Just be quiet. Don't, don't follow your heart. Don't follow the purpose and plan of God because you're intimidated. The second thing he can do is manipulate. Anybody ever been manipulated doing something they did not want to do and then they pay the, the consequences or suffer the consequences? And I wanted to add one other, we've been to Haiti, we've been to uh, North Africa, we've seen the occult, we've seen the enemy, we've seen all that the enemy can pervert and distort. The enemy can imitate. He cannot produce the miracles of God, but he can imitate the miracles of God. And we know that there is a season coming when the false prophet will have the ability to call down fire from heaven, have the ability to raise the dead. Some of the same attributes that God operates in, the kingdom of hell can also. And if you know anything about demonology or the occult, Satanists really believe the power of their words. They can curse something. They can destroy something by the power of their words. They have so much confidence in the power of their words that if they speak a curse against a born-again Christian, they believe that curse will reverse and come upon them, and they're very quick to try not to uh, rebuke or to curse a Christian. Aren't you glad this morning you have that protection by the blood of Jesus? If you'll go with me, I just want this morning, if we can, very quickly go to some scripture. Mark 16 and 17, when Jesus told the church to go into the world to, and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Ghost, he also told them to cast out demons. If you've never been a part of a casting out demon uh, party, you probably don't want to be because scary things can happen. 
I can remember earlier in ministry telling people, if you're not where you're supposed to be, if you're not living for the Lord, you need to leave because this demon is coming out of this guy, and this demon is going to try to find somebody to go into. And uh, I had everybody bow their head and close their eyes and made that. And I think there were about four or five that actually got up and left. They did not want to get right with God, but they didn't want a demon coming inside of them. But the Bible says that we have the power to cast out demons. When you talk about spiritual warfare, if you're not careful, there is some confusion because there are those knowing that Satan is the prince of the pally of the air and he's the god of this world. There are those that believe it is necessary to get in a helicopter at 20,000 feet and there rebuke the devil or get on the tallest building, go up the elevator, the 30th floor, and there rebuke the devil. I think that's carrying it a little bit too far. Do I have a friend in the building? I remember several years ago, there was a group of people that felt like they knew where the doors of Satan were in, in the nation, in the north, south, east, and west. And three or four of them would load up and they would drive to this particular door in Minnesota or they would go to St. Pete or they would go to L.A. or they would go to New York. And there they would go and they would pray and they would bind these entities and bind these this demonic hoax that supposedly enters the nation through there. I don't know about any of that. You know, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, I mean, when Jesus cast them out, sometimes he just said out. Sometimes he said, come out. So one time he said, shut up and come out. So he didn't go into a helicopter and try to take authority. He didn't go to New York and take authority. But where you are is where the Spirit of God resides. And Paul says that you are the temple, you're the tabernacle of God, and the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Does that excite anybody in this house? We know in 2 Corinthians 10 and 3, the Word says that we are to pull down strongholds. That the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What are strongholds? Stronghold is a mindset. Stronghold is a truth that's been perverted. The enemy may have told you that you're never going to be good enough. The enemy have told you that you're never going to succeed. The enemy may have told you that you have to medicate, that you have to do this, you have to do that. Those are all strongholds. And like a police officer would arrest a criminal and throw them in jail, so are we to take those thoughts and arrest them, confront those thoughts that we're thinking, identify them and say, this is not a thought of God. This is not from God. This is not from the presence of God. I bind it in the name of Jesus, and I choose to change my mindset to whatsoever things are pure, lovely, there be any virtue, be any praise, think on these things, and the God of peace comes and touches your mind and touches your spirit. Aren't you glad this morning we have that authority that we can ask God to do that, and he will do that? Do I have a friend in the house this morning? We know, and there have been several books written, and they're, they're great books, but the battle that we war against is the battle of the mind. It takes place right here in our mind. If we think about it long enough, it gets in our heart, it gets in our heart, we speak it, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So as we, as we encounter this battle of the mind, we need to know what God's word says about the, the mind and what God's word says about your ability to change your mind. Look at somebody and say, I want to change my mind. I don't want to think wrong thoughts. I want to think right thoughts. And I want it to come from God. In 1 John 3 and 8, do we have that scripture? 1 John 3, 3 and 8. For this purpose Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. That word destroy in Greek is luo, and it simply means to untie or unloose. And that's what Christ came to do, to destroy the works of the devil. In Acts 10 and 38, Peter said how Christ of Nazareth went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
There's two places that we can be in our life. Colossians 3 and 15, crucifying the flesh. And Romans 6 and 2, dead to sin. If we're crucifying the flesh and we're dead to sin, then we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That's in 1 John 4 and 4. Colossians 2 and 15 says that when he went to hell, he spoiled principalities and powers. That word spoiled means having stripped one's garments as if completely naked. 1 Corinthians 2 and 8, had the demons of this world known what happened when they crucified the king of glory, they never would have crucified him. Do I have a friend in the house? Because it was his blood shed at Calvary that gave us victory and gave us authority over sin. Now watch this. In Genesis 6, 3 and 15, we know that God confronted Satan. And God confronted Satan and said, From this day you'll crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust. He told the woman that the enemy is going to strike your heel. You're going to stomp the enemy's head. Watch this, if you will, just from it. The, the history, or let me, let me rephrase that. Science tells us that the snake has a tongue that has the ability to sense what's going on in the environment. If there's, if there's an animal trying to get away from him, he can sense by the dust it makes, it can sense that that animal is afraid of him and running from him, and he will chase that, he'll chase that creature. That happened just a few weeks ago. I took Christine over to Tish's house to see Louie the monkey. And obviously she was apprehensive about the monkey. And the monkey sensed that she was apprehensive. So the monkey jumped from the table to the chair to the shelf and latched itself on, on Christine's face. It was not a pretty sight. And uh, Tish immediately grabbed the monkey by the tail and did a slam on it, chokehold, half Nelson, and uh, subdued, subdued the monkey. But that monkey could sense... Christine's apprehension. And that's the way the enemy operates. If he thinks he can scare you and intimidate you, and it scares you and intimidates you, then he is going to pursue you. We are vessels of dust. Look at somebody and say, I'm just a big old dirt clod. I'm just a big old dirt clod. And the Bible says that the enemy feeds on dust. We know out of the dust of the ground we were taken, and out of the dust of the ground we will leave. Naked we came to this world, naked we shall depart. That's the way that we were made. But when Jesus went to Calvary, some things happened, some things changed. He took back the authority that, that Adam lost to Satan. Did you hear me? He took back the authority that Adam lost to Satan. And then he gave us all authority, both in heaven and earth, to go in his name, to raise the dead, to heal the sick, and to take authority over demonic hopes. There's two words for flesh. One word is soma, which means this physical container. And the other word is sarks, which represents all the bad stuff the flesh does, whether it's lust or pride or envy or murder or incest or rape. or All those, all those sins are manifested through sarks, and that's what the devil feeds on. He feeds on our flesh. That's what sustains him. That's what energizes him. That's what motivates him to do what he's supposed to do. And he feeds on our flesh to such a degree over the past 6,000 years. In Genesis 3, he's a garden snake, but he grows feeding on our flesh. In Revelation 12, the Bible says he's a great dragon, a roaring dragon, trying to devour all that he can devour. But if we, if we are operating in Romans 6 and 2, Dead to sins, Colossians 2 and 15, crucified with Christ. The word said if we're crucified with Christ and we take up his cross and we take up his authority. Well, you're a quiet bunch this morning. We take up, if we take up his cross, we take up his authority. So all power, both in heaven and earth, has been given to me. 
Now you go in my name. You raise the dead. You heal the sick. You take authority. We literally have authority over the enemy that we can put him where he's supposed to be. As a child, we learned about demonic warfare. We sang that song, the devil is a sly old fox. If I could catch him, I'd put him in the box. Lock that box and throw away the key for all the tricks he's played on me. I'm glad that I'm a, I think it says I'm glad I'm a Christian. Maybe I'm glad I'm a Republican. I'm not sure. But as a, as a, young, as a young child, we were taught that there is, there is something walking about seeking whom he may devour. But if there's nothing for him to feed on, he will starve to death. Hello. When, when the enemy confronted Jesus, there was nothing he could feed on. He misquoted the Bible. Jesus quoted it correctly. And the devil had to leave because he had no place in Christ. And Jesus will even say that. So, so understand, if you begin to operate in pride or fear or lust or envy or jealousy or strife, any of that, you are giving the devil an appetite. You're giving him something to eat, and he'll probably hang around and feed as long. He'll probably hang around and feed as long as you will feed him. The word says, if we do what God has called us to do, dead to our sins, crucified in Christ, then Satan can find no place here. Jesus will say that a little later somewhere in my notes. If you look at 1 Samuel 15 and 22, this is a very uh, popular scripture as far as I am concerned. This is where God gave me the message, America, the, the medicated. But notice if you look at 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, and the guys may actually have it on the, on the screen, I'm not sure. Guys, do you have it on the screen? 1 Samuel 15 and 22. It's quiet in this building. Wake up. Do we have it? We got it. Look at someone say, praise God, we got it. 1 Samuel 15, and I want to go to verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices in a, as in obedience to the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken the fat of rams. To listen and obey to God is more important than animals that they were sacrificing in that generation. Watch this. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Rebellion produces witchcraft. Stubbornness produces idolatry. Stubbornness may be something that you read or learn or hear or you've been taught, but regardless of what you've been taught, you choose to go your own way and do your own way. That makes that stubbornness your God, that that God is more important than the God that you serve. It's in between you and God, and if you're not careful, that God will destroy you and devour you and take away your joy. We know what the word witchcraft means in the Hebrew. It means pharmakia, where we get the word pharmacy. I learned this week that that, let me make sure, make sure I tell this correctly. Every 10 seconds, a binge drinker loses their life. Every 10 seconds. Three million people die every year in America binge drinking. Every day, there are 40,000 suicides. 80% of them are drug-induced. When Samuel told Saul, rebellion is as witchcraft, is as pharmakia, God knew that in this generation, there would be a generation that in rebellion against all counsel, 
I mean, you can, tell, you can tell somebody how deadly meth is, what it will do to their teeth, what it will do to their body. You can tell somebody what cocaine will do. You can tell somebody what hydros will do or oxycontin will do or all the crazy things they will do to try to get high. You can preach it to your blue in your face, but rebellion says, I'm going to try it. I'm going to experiment with it. I can control it. And for a season, you, you can control that baby alligator on a leash. But as that alligator feeds on your flesh, it comes to a point where you cannot control it. You don't have it. It has you. Right. Look at somebody and say, not me. not me. Not me. Satan's attack, I believe, upon this generation that we are a part of. And I want to talk to us because we're the ones in the building. I believe that Satan's attack, we know that he can attack in three ways. But I think his attack is fourfold. I believe just as you have a general in the army and then you have lieutenants and sergeants and majors and, 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 and the, as, as, a, as it pro pro progresses, there's, a, there's someone over everything and then it's delegated per city, per rank, per army, whatever's involved. I believe Satan's attack is fourfold. The number one attack, I believe, are generation. Let me say what they are, then come back and discuss them. Can we do that? Generational curses. Territorial spirits, familiar spirits, and unclean spirits. In the, in the generational curses, Deuteronomy says, if, if you honor me, I will honor you. But if you don't honor me, I will visit the sins of the father to the third and fourth generation. What is a third and fourth generation? As you look at the generation of Abraham, he had a tendency to lie about, about Sarah. We notice that Isaac lied about Rebekah. Uh, Jacob lies, and then we learn Jacob's sons, all the way to the fourth generation, there seems to be a lying spirit or deceptive spirit. Are you with me? My, my beautiful grandparents had four beautiful children. My grandparents uh, got married when they were 13 and 15. My grandpa died when he was 83. Grandma died at 87. All I ever knew from them was a, was a godly home, a godly generation. There was no, there was, there, that, that I know there was never any bad in my grandparents. They were those kind of people. But my grandfather had a, a, a girl that married a guy that created Tropicana Campers. I've told you that before. And he died an alcoholic. His, his baby, let me make sure I tell this right. His baby daughter, we can't find. We have no idea where she's at. She lost her, she lost all clarity, all, all reasoning. She lost that several years ago, heavily medication, lost all of her teeth because of drugs. We have no idea where she's at. Her son that she birthed, uh, while she was trying to do the right thing, he has been through two drug rehabs. If that curse is not broken, he's going to get married, have kids, and that child will step into that generational curse. How do you break a generational curse? By the blood of Jesus. Confronting the curse, pronouncing the blood of Jesus on it, and believing that God has restored you and healed you and has set you free. Say, so, well, generational curses died at, at the cross of Calvary in the New Testament. Did they? Then why would God say, if you disobey me, I'll visit your sins, third and fourth generation. But if you obey me, I'll bless you to the thousandth generation. So if God promises that we obey him, we're blessed the thousandth generation, then it didn't die at Calvary. It didn't die at the New Testament. There are still generational curses today. And if you will think, if, if you'll think about it long enough, you'll know there's someone in your life, their grandparent did this, their son did this, their granddaughter did this, and now the great-grandchild of four generations is doing that. Do I have a friend or a witness in the building? Anybody say amen, oh me, sit down, shut up, anything? <laughs> Quiet bunch today. The... Territorial, territorial spirits are actually prince of the power of the air, spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. There are cities that you could drive into. Knoxville is one of them. El Paso, Texas is one of them. El Paso, Texas 
has probably more Santeria than any other uh, city in America. Jacksonville is one of those. Knoxville is known for the satanic church. Suppose there's several thousand Satanists and there are two or three satanic churches in Knoxville that actually worship the devil. There are places that you can go. I remember when we went to Haiti, it was obviously there were territorial spirits there that, that ruled that particular uh, domain. I don't know if you know anything about Haiti, but Haiti in the 1700s was under French rule, French control. They could come up with a plan that when one of the Haitians blew this conch and let out a sound throughout the community, you took whatever you had, a rake, a shovel, a hammer, a, a machete, and you killed your French lord. They killed all the Frenchmen. They took the, they took the country back over. The Haitians took the country back over, and they made voodoo their national religion. If you ever go to Haiti, you'll notice they have no trees. They have no animals. They have raped. They have literally raped their country by just, just burning their, their trees as firewood, eating all their animals. Haiti is one of the places you will not see dogs and cats running the streets because all the dogs and cats have been eaten. That is a nation that has turned its back on God and has made satanic worship their God, and that's where territorial spirits. I remember, almost without exception, I remember we would go, Pastor Ron and I went to a, uh, they have um, materialized, they have uh, what my, commercialized voodoo services where you can pay $100, you can go to voodoo service, you can see them stand in fire, eat fire, all that stuff. But we went to one during the day, and Pastor Ron said, I don't like the way I feel. I don't like the way people are looking at me. I don't like the way I feel. If you're sensitive to things of God, you, will, you can go into maybe a video store or you can go into a, a restaurant somewhere and you get like cooties. Anybody ever get, everybody get just like, I, I feel really weird. I feel there's something not right with this. A lot of times going into a hospital room or going to a, a person's home, you sense it in your spirit. There's something wrong. There's something wrong here. There's something out of order here. And what is so crazy, I, I've preached over 300 funerals. I can preach the funeral of a, of a beloved, and there's nothing but peace there. I can preach the funeral of someone that died violently or took their life or were not sure if they were ready to die or not. There's a spirit there. There's a, there's a spirit of dread. There's a spirit of, of it. You feel it. You, feel, you, you don't feel the peace of God. You don't feel the presence of God. And that's what terrible spirits can do. Familiar spirits, my personal opinion, I believe that when you were born, a demonic entity was attached to you. And I believe that demonic entity is familiar with you. I believe that demonic entity knows your weaknesses, knows your failures, knows your shortcomings. Did you notice that the enemy rarely snares us with any new snares? Do you ever notice that when we trip and fall, it's usually over something we've already tripped and fallen over? That's because he knows us just as well as we know ourselves. But there's a way to apply the blood of Jesus to guard you from familiar spirits, territorial spirits, generational spirits. And I want to talk about unclean spirits. The word said that Jesus went about healing all that were oppressed by the devil. So we know that there are sickness that is caused because of unclean spirit, unclean spirit of cancer, unclean spirit of diabetes, unclean spirit. And you can name them over and over and over and over again. Usually, a lot of times, a person might be sick because they've opened a door in another part of their life and they've allowed a sickness to step in. That sickness can be delivered and set forth by the blood of Jesus. Do I have a blood of Jesus fan in the building this morning? Good news. Last page. I wrote down here how to defeat the enemy. There are two ways to defeat the enemy. Revelation 12, 10 and 11. Do we have it? We find in the last days, not only is the enemy here to accuse the brethren and to wear them out, 
but the accuser of the brethren will make accusation against anything and anybody that's in a position of authority, position of power, a teacher, anyone that's walking in the things of God, they've got a target on their back where the enemy wants to accuse them. And I'm going to tell you, you can go, you can, you can pursue some of those precious ministries in the world, one like Billy Graham. In Billy Graham's hometown, he's not well thought of. You can go to any kind of evangelist on the road, any kind of teacher, anybody on TV and Daystar, and every one of those, somebody has something negative or critical to say about them because that's what the accuser of the brethren do. But two things overcome the accuser of the brethren. You ready? The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The enemy cannot stand our testimony. He hates the fact that we have a testimony. And when you share your testimony with someone else, you're giving them courage and confidence that they can walk out of the pit they're in because they see your life. It becomes a light and a dark place, and you touch somebody else because of the bad things that you've overcome. Do I have a friend in the house? The second, the second way to defeat the enemy is found in 1 Samuel 17. You don't have a term there. But Pastor Rana touched on it Wednesday night. In disobedience to the things of God because of pride. When Saul was selected as king, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He didn't necessarily consider that to be a plus. Because when they went to select the king, the Bible says he was hiding among the stuff. And that stuff we believed to be was the trash, where they were getting ready to carry the trash out and burn it. Saul was hiding in, in the trash. And through, a way, through, through the way of pursuing a lost lamb or, 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 or goat, Saul went to find a particular, and the word of the Lord spoke to him, told him where to go. And then Samuel anointed Saul to be king. He was humble. He was sincere. He was precious. He was innocent. But all of, the, all of the pressures of being the king, all of the, all of the perks, all of the, all of the things that transpired and took place, the Bible says that Saul's heart was full of pride. And Samuel confronted him and said, when you were small in your own eyes, you were great. But now you've allowed this pride, just like Lucifer. When Lucifer was leading the angels of heaven, he was great. But when he tried to put himself above the throne of God and be equal of God, the Bible says an attack came against him. Same thing happened to Saul. The Bible says that Saul was actually cut off from God. And then when Samuel died, the word says that Saul went to a witch of Endor and the witch actually called Samuel's spirit back up. And there's a lot of Bible scholars does not believe that's the spirit of Samuel. It says it's the spirit of Samuel. I happen to believe it's the spirit of Samuel because Hebrews 11 says we're, we're, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I don't believe that people go to heaven and stay there. I believe sometimes they come back to help us here on earth. Do I have a friend in the house? Ever felt the presence of somebody you love close to you that went on to be the Lord and you just feel like their hands on your shoulder? I felt that a lot with my grandparents. Many times I felt like that their, their presence was around me. They were praying for me and they were encouraging me. This thing was, was, was Saul, when Saul got out of order with God, the Bible says an evil spirit would come to him and torment him and pick on him and mess with his mind and mess with his spirit. And, the, and those in the house said, hey, we know a guy that's very skilled on the harp. He's, he's an armor bearer. He's sharp. He's a great guy. He's good looking. You'll like him. And so they brought David to Saul's house and David played the harp. And 1 Samuel 17 says, Saul was set free by the demonic spirit, and he was so overwhelmed by David's anointing that he sent a message to Jesse and said, I want your son to remain with me, and I want him to be my armor bearer. Now, you don't hear a lot of that 
a totter preached because most times Saul was afraid to go to battle because he was afraid of Goliath. Hello. But David was prepared to be an armor bearer before he was prepared to be a warrior. Do you have a friend in the house? If you're not faithful over little piddly uh, things that don't seem to be all that important, there's a very good chance you're not going to be used over the great, incredible, phenomenal things because despise not small beginnings because you're faithful in the little, then God promotes you at the right time. David was Saul's armor bearer, but David could play the harp in such a way that that anointed music would release Saul from a demonic spirit. And I believe that music, and most of you have been around me a long time, if anybody comes to me and they're having nightmares or they're having, they're having bad things happen in the middle of the night, Two things I encourage them to do. Thing number one, I encourage them to stop watching R-rated movies like Halloween and Freddy and Night Halloween and Freddy and all that. Stop putting that in your brain before bed. And the second thing is turn on some music and let it softly flow through the house while you're asleep. When I was so sick that I couldn't hold my head up and I would just I was staying in the tub, I would ask Pastor Ron to come into the bathroom and she would get on the floor and she'd start singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And the more she sang, the better I felt. There's something about the power of music that God uses to bless and God uses to heal and God uses to restore. The, the third way that I really feel like that, 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 that the Lord operates in, and I'll be very brief here, most of you know this story, but when Courtney was born, the second day of her birth, it was determined that she had, she had major heart disease. She had her arteries, were, her, she had transposition of great arteries. Her arteries were switched. They blew, went out blue blood, came back blood, went out red blood, came back red, where it's supposed to switch over, did not switch over. And they gave us a, a lot of negative reports that she would never be like any of the children, that she would get tired, she had to be medicated. We couldn't put an airplane, we couldn't fly, we couldn't do this, we couldn't do that. Well, she not only survived the, the, the surgery, but she had been on no medicine. She had been to Hawaii. She's, she plays like everybody else. She, she, she loves life. She loves people. But when we went to the hospital for her surgery, she was 10 weeks old and weighed about 8 pounds. At 10 weeks old, she weighed 8 pounds. When the nurse and doctor, the surgeon came to get the baby, I told the nurse, I said, I'm not giving this baby to you. I'm giving this baby back to God. And when you're done, I want you to bring her back. They told us that the surgery would be successful if she was pink. She was a blue baby. When we walked into the recovery room, she was laying there in their little tiny pink feet right there. She had all kinds, of, all kinds of things strapped to her that looked very scary and very frightening, but that did not bother us because we saw the pink feet. Kelly, that was our, that was our sign of a miracle, the pink feet. Right next to her was a six-month-old baby that had the very same surgery that did not survive. The parents asked me to, in the wedding rooms, and, and when terrible times come upon you, you get real close to people that are with you in, in terrible times. And we got real close to the family next to us, and they asked me to come over and, and, and pray for their baby. And it, of course, it's tough praying for a, praying for a dead baby when your, your daughter is just a few feet away in another gurney getting ready to go to ICU. It's tough, tough, tough. I, I really don't, I don't remember what I prayed and what I said, but I just remember it was a very, very, it was a tough moment. Because our baby still wasn't out of the woods. And so when I left that family, I went, I was going to go downstairs and get a cup of coffee, got on the elevator, and all of a sudden, it seemed like, it seemed like claustrophobic. It seemed like demons were pushing in on me, and they were screaming at me, and they were laughing at me, and they were making fun of me, and they were saying, that's what you get for believing God. That's what you get for trusting God. That elevator, that elevator was like, it was like a, like a hellhole. And I remember as the demons began to taunt me and mock me, the only thing that I, I thought of doing and the only thing that I, that I did at that time 
was I begin to quote Psalms 91. He that dwell in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Most, of the most High. I will say in the Lord, He is my refuge, my God, in Him will I trust. Surely shall He deliver from the snare of the fowler and from the noise of the fowler. Fowler shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee, for He shall give His angels charge over thee. And by the time I said charge over thee, that elevator door opened, I stepped out, and I looked back at the elevator, I said, take that, devil, the, de the Word of God. The enemy cannot handle the Word of God. The enemy can't handle it quoted, can't handle it sung, can't handle it read. And those are the three areas that you need to realize that you overcome the enemy. By your testimony, because of the blood, by your praise and worship, and by speaking the word of God when it applies to areas of your life. That's why you need to know what the word of God says so that when storms and challenges come, you can speak those things. I want to share two personal occasions in my life where I became very aware of demonic entity one of the the first one i was in somewhere in ohio and i was past i was holding a revival at a great church it was a great church great choir in those days it was choirs uh a big church of seven or eight hundred and while i was preaching on the back on the very back row of the of the of the sanctuary in the far left there were like three sections middle section far left right on the back row I saw this demon walk, in the, walk out of the lobby into the church. And I'm preaching Sunday morning. I was preaching on the four horsemen. I was preaching on the second coming of Christ. I was preaching on when he shall appear, we shall disappear. I remember the sermon, but I was preaching, Titus 2 and 13. And as I'm preaching about the four horses, the red, the black, all the things that are going to happen in the last days, this demonic, demonic creature, the only way to describe him is describe one of the gremlins with the teeth and the fangs and the, the, the horrible look and then... On, on his fingers, he had like 10, they're like razor sharp, uh, they, weren't, they weren't swords or knives, they were just razor sharp fingernails, best way I guess to, to, to explain it. And I watched this demonic entity walk up to this woman on the back row, and I watched him take his, take his talons and just begin to penetrate her, her mind, her, through her hair, through her brain, begin to penetrate her mind. Or, well, you know, I'm, I'm freaking out. <laughs> Hello. I'm freaking out. There's, there's a demon in church, and I didn't think demons could come around churches. And I'm preaching. And I'm, so after the service, we actually stayed there, I believe, 10. I, we stayed over another week. But somewhere in that revival, I told the pastor, I said, hey, I, I, need, I need to tell you something. He and his wife were sitting, we're eating, and I told him exactly what I saw. He looks at his wife, what life looks back at him, and the wife says, go ahead and tell him. And he said, he said, he said Brother Hank, that woman used to be the church's treasurer secretary and we have just learned that she's embezzled thousands of dollars from the church and we don't know what to do about it and i and you know i said well pastor i said you know obviously there's some kind of demonic uh temptation here there's some kind of you know find out what the demonic thing is and, and then and then deal with it i don't i don't remember how they dealt with it i don't know if she was a resident i don't remember all that but i remember i asked god why would you allow me to see one particular person being tormented. And I felt like God say to me, if I opened your eyes and let you see what was going on, he said, it would freak you out. It would freak you out. In the book, This Present Darkness, if you've not read that book, I encourage you, 2014, to do whatever it takes to read that book through its entirety. It's a novel. It's a, it's a fiction book based on satanic warfare, and it talks about ministering spirits, it talks about demons, it talks about angels, and I believe it will open your eyes to some clarity of what takes place. But it's, it's, it's also very possible that not only demons can manifest themselves in a demonic 
form, fashion, but demons can also manifest themselves in the form of humans. Paul warns us, even if an angel of light preaches another Jesus, don't believe that angel of light. I was having a real, real tough time. I was in Savannah, Georgia. I was with Keith Dudley. It was a great church. We had a great Sunday morning, a great Sunday night. Monday, I got so sick, I couldn't go to the, the podium. Keith preached for me Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I went in the hospital Tuesday morning, stayed there about a week. They had absolutely no idea what was wrong with me. I had an upper GI, lower GI. They stuck a tube down my throat. Rhonda is in Cleveland, I think. Um, Rhonda's here. We, we, we had rented her grandmother's house. She was here in Cleveland. I was with Keith there in Savannah. And then the door opened through some friends of ministry I've talked about already. Uh, they paid my way to go to the city of faith where Oral Roberts had created a hospital, brought surgeons from all over the world. And I stayed at city of faith for, I guess, for about six weeks. They did exploratory surgery. They cut me sideways, opened me up, looked around, didn't find anything wrong, but took my gallbladder because if a surgeon cuts you, you're going to take something. So they took my gallbladder, and I didn't get any better. Matter of fact, at one particular uh, um, season of, of that hospital, the doctors told Rhonda they didn't, wasn't sure I was going to make it through the night. My blood pressure got down to 60 over 40, and I laid in that bed. And at one point, they actually turned me upside down to let the blood rush to my head because they were worried about my circulation, worried that I, I was going to die. Well, that night as I laid there in that bed, doctors told me that I wasn't doing good, that, you know, that I, was, I, was, I was very sick, that I might not make it through the night. I, I wake up, and there's this guy standing by my bed looking at me, dark hair, dark eyes, dark, dark T-shirt, dark jeans, dark tennis shoes, all, all dressed in black, and he, and, he, and he was standing on the side of my bed. I looked at him, and he said, I just want to tell you, you're not going to make it. You're, going to, you're not going to make it through the night. Your, your report's not good. You're not going to make it. So I said, okay. Well, I rolled over. I don't know that I prayed. I think I fell back asleep. I don't know what I did. I wasn't feeling very good. And then all of a sudden, I opened my eyes, and there was another guy, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white shirt, white pants, white tennis shoes, standing right there by my bed <laughs> looking at me while I'm sleeping. I said, and it's like, it's like, what do you want? He goes, well, I'm here to tell you that God's not done with you. You're not going to die. You're going to make it through the storm. And I said, thank you. So the night, the night went on. So the next morning, when Rhonda came in the room, she had been sitting outside the room in a chair all night long. I said, wasn't that crazy last night? And she said, what? Those guys visiting me, those guys telling me, one telling me I'm going to die, one telling me I'm not going to die. And she said, I've been sitting outside your, your, this room all night long. And besides a nurse, no one has gone in that room. No one's gone in that room. And there were what the Lord taught me, where there is bad, there's always going to be more good than there is more bad. Where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. And aren't you glad this morning, 1 John 4 and 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We've been given power to raise the dead, heal the sick, take authority over demonic spirits. He said, for this cause came I in, the, in this world to destroy the works of the devil. That's what he came to do, destroy the works and gave us authority that when we see things that are out of order in our life, we can confront them, we can rebuke them, we can do it in song or word or testimony. And the enemy, aren't you glad for this? The enemy has to flee. The Bible says resist. And that word resist is almost like getting somebody in a headlock and choking them, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil will not stay when you're quoting the word, when you're applying the blood, when you're singing a spiritual song or hymn, when you're, when you're sharing your testimony, the enemy will not stay in that atmosphere. He cannot survive in that atmosphere, and he has to go. Aren't you glad that we have that promise today in Jesus' name? Just for a moment, as every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, as no one's looking around.
This morning, if you are not where you feel like you have authority over the enemy and you feel like the devil's beating you up and you feel like the devil in, in so many ways is trying to steal your joy and steal your activity and it feels like you're in a rut, God not send me here today to embarrass you. God not send me today to confront you. But God sent me today to share with you that when Jesus lives on the inside of you, and your heart is filled with your testimony. You have the blood of Jesus applied to your, to your life. And you're quoting his word. You're singing his song. The enemy can't stay for long. The enemy can't stay for long. If you're here this morning, you feel like that the enemy is trying to intimidate you, manipulate you, hurt you in any way, shape, or form. You can't seem to get a breakthrough. We just put your hand up? Put it right back down. Is there one? Yes. 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 Father, you saw every hand, you saw every heart, you saw every need, you saw everyone respond. You know your children, you know them by name. You know the plans that you have for them. And the plans you have for them is not to frustrate them or frighten them or let them be bound by anything here on this earth. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. None of those things have you said that you would allow us to be frustrated by. You said we call upon your name, we ask you for help, and you bring help. We call upon your name until we hear from you. We are consistent and persistent in our knocking. We continue to knock, continue to believe that you hear what we have to say. You'll come into our heart, heal our spirit, heal our mind, and let our mind be filled with positive, assertive things that your word has promised. Let us learn to think on your word. Let us memorize your word that encourages and blesses. Let us know what kind of authority that we have in the name of Jesus. Let us know that we can pull down the strongholds of our mind, that we are crucified with you, that blood has been shed, that we, we can cast down those strongholds by the blood and the power of Jesus. And we, we, we remind us all, Lord, that we have that power, but we have not sometimes because we ask not. Today we boldly ask for intercession. Today we boldly ask for you to step in and bind these spirits and, and remove these spirits from us. In Jesus' name we pray. And you all said, Amen. Amen. You love the Lord today? Yes. Did any of this help you today?